today on Ag News Daily. Everyone wants to give American workers the first opportunity. The problem with that is, is that if if someone does take a position and then decide they don't like it, it takes 30, 60, maybe 90 days to recycle and try to get access to them, to another worker. Well, this is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney. Delaney, is it still Delaney Howell? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I guess legally it's Delaney Grote, but I'm still going to go by Delaney Howell professionally. All right. Well, congratulations from uh, us and all the listeners here at Ag News Daily, and welcome back. Thank you. Yes, it's been a whirlwind of a last uh, couple of week and a half here, so it feels a little weird to be back on the podcast, but glad to be back. Yeah, and you, uh, we already fully disclosed that you were feeling under the weather. So you yes. went from probably a, a pretty high to a pretty low all within a couple of days. Yes, yes, I did indeed. Uh, no, I didn't have the brown bottle flu, as some of our listeners might be thinking. We tested positive for COVID right as soon as we got home from our wedding. But thankfully, it didn't happen until after the wedding was over and we started seeing guests get sick. But we're on the mend now and ready to hit the ground running, Tanner. That's good. And maybe I should have clarified, I'm not alongside Delaney. Therefore, uh, we are very strategically not even in the same county no. currently uh, to keep the Ag News Daily team healthy. But try to get you caught up a little bit on the news, Delaney. Yesterday, we reported uh, and the day before reported on grain leaving Ukraine for the first time since Russian invasion. Sounds like you've got a good interview scheduled coming up tomorrow to get some more details on this. But reporting today that that first shipment that has left since February is now one step closer to reaching its final destination of Lebanon. According to readers, the United Nations said the 26,000 tons of corn was cleared to proceed on Wednesday. The Rizzoni vessel can now proceed through the Bosphorus Strait, and that is internationally significant. The ship was inspected by officials from Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, and the United Nations, as previously reported. That inspection only took three hours, and the team was confirmed, authorized to proceed. So good news there, Delaney. That ship is still on its way to its final destination. Yeah, except shots have been fired, Tanner. I don't know if you've seen this story yet, reported by Reuters, but Russia said on Tuesday that they've called out specifically the U.S., saying they that we've been directly involved in this conflict with Ukraine because U.S. spies have been approving and coordinating Ukrainian missile strikes on Russian forces, and they're pointing fingers at the United States, Tanner, which is a little slightly nerve-wracking here to be called out to be part of this war. But this was triggered, obviously, you know, by the relations that we've seen here. But they said that all this undeniably proves that Washington, contrary to White House and Pentagon claims, is directly involved in the conflict in Ukraine, according to Russia's defense minister that's a close ally of President Putin. And U.S. President Biden, of course, asked, he wants to know a little bit more about why Russia thinks this, but said that he wants Ukraine to, of course, defeat Russia and has admitted to supplying billions of dollars of arms, but does not want a direct confrontation between the U.S. and Russian soldiers. And now the question becomes, is there a target on the U.S.'s back, not only from Russia, but of course, from China as well, Tanner? I have been staying 
up in the news, close enough to understand the the impact of Speaker Nancy Pelosi arriving in Taiwan earlier this week. Now, this is the first time that a high-ranking U.S. official has made a visit to Taiwan since Speaker Newt Gingrich visited in 1997. This was not received well by China, and last night, China summoned the U.S. ambassador to China to lecture him on the damage done to China's relationship by Pelosi's visit and to inform him that the United States must pay a price for her actions, Tanner. Yeah, I, there's a lot of headlines, a lot of articles about this. Of course, that's the first time in 25 years, like you mentioned, uh, having a high-ranking U.S. official visit Taiwan. China has reacted by suspending imports of thousands of food products from Taiwan It'll be interesting to see how they retaliate against the U.S. Could this be by suspending or curbing the purchases of other ag products, including soybeans? But so far, nothing has been leaked, at least in the news sources that we can see. Uh, China did monitor the entire Taiwan Strait with fighter jets and announced starting today or starting tomorrow, Thursday at noon, They will spend four days in the aerospace above Taiwan and the seawaters surrounding doing live fire exercises. So it seems like a a little bit of a peacock move there, ruffling up their feathers to certainly show the strength of their military. But as we look, including China, DSM is signaling a consumer shift from costly meats down to poultry. So uh, again, the Dutch specialty chemicals maker DSM said Tuesday that this consumer shift is away from the expensive meats as people are grappling with rising prices, shortages, destocking, weaker demand, especially for meat products between uh, China residents said that pork sales are suffering ever since COVID-19 lockdowns have continued to resurface. So tempered first half performance for DSM as a company whose products range from vitamins to food supplements to specialized packaging. But downtrading is not necessarily a negative, they state for their company, just wanted to bring to light the fact that with inflated prices, we are seeing a shift delaying to less costly forms of protein. Well, Tanner, speaking of protein, we've got some early August estimates ahead of next week's WASD report. Stonex said in their customer survey that although there are going to likely be losses in the Western Corn Belt, the Eastern Corn Belt should offset that for a fairly sizable yield again this year, even given some of the rocky weather conditions that we've seen. They pegged the U.S. corn yield at 176 bushels per acre late Tuesday, soybean yield pegged at 51.3 bushels per acre, both slightly below USDA's current yields, but still a relatively high yield all in all, Tanner. Yeah, that's interesting. The first prediction we've really seen come out of that. There's a lot of pictures on Twitter, Instagram of uh, ears of corn not being filled all the way out to the tip, a lot of tip back in certain areas, uh, of course, then some have caught some really good rain. So I'm sure only time will tell, but that report again will be an interesting one for us to watch. Hitting on fertilizer prices, it looks like seven of the eight major fertilizers were lower again. None of them this time dropped by a significant amount. DTN considers that price change of 5% more 
in a month would be more than a significant amount. So as we look here across the nitrogen side, decline one to three percent last month. Urea had an average price of eight thirty-six a ton, and hydrous was fourteen thirty-one a ton. Uh, Twenty-eight percent at five ninety-six and thirty-two at six ninety-three per ton. That makes the average price of starter fertilizer at a ten thirty-four zero. 894 a ton. The only fertilizer that was a little bit higher, Delaney, was potash coming in at 887 a ton. So good to see that uh, we are getting some prices to continue to subside. We'd like to see them be a little bit higher than that. Global supplies of anhydrous continue to be tight as Europe's reduced its reliance on natural gas from Russia. Last week, of course, BASF announced that it would reduce the production of ammonia amid Moscow's decision to reduce natural gas flows. Uh, the article and story that you reported on with the Nord Stream pipeline, only at 20% of capacity. So it could be a difficult situation for next year's availability. We'll see if that is a worse situation for fertilizer, Delaney. But so far, starting to see things subside price-wise in the fertilizer market. Well, Tanner, we may also see things start to calm down a little bit in the oil and gas market because OPEC has agreed to raise its September output targets by 100,000 barrels per day, according to Reuters this morning, which is still a fraction of what the West had hoped for and anticipated, but certainly a move in the right direction. The move is being interpreted by industry sources as an insult, however, to President Biden since he traveled to Saudi Arabia last month in an attempt to convince them to influence leaders to increase at a faster output than the one that we've seen now announced by OPEC. But still, again, heading in the right direction to see more barrels added to the monthly and daily stockpile to hopefully kind of tamp down some of these high prices that we're seeing at the gasoline pumps. It was certainly not a fun trip to drive to Colorado, Tanner. (laughs) You certainly had to pay for that one, I'm I'm sure. Well, the last little piece of news that I have here kind of ties in an an old farmer's tale or old wives' tale, as they would say, that the quality of the sweet corn crop here in the state of Iowa is usually dictating that of the quality of the commercial corn crop. And starting here now, according to KCCI local news source, over 30 years, farmers have been selling sweet corn in the area. They know exactly what good corn looks like, feels like, and tastes like. And some sweet corn providers are suspending sales. Says here that a couple of growers, especially those near Ely, Iowa, said that it's just dried up. The ears aren't filling out and we aren't going to sell subpar sweet corn. It's just that I'm not going to do that. I don't care what price we sell it at. I will not sell an inferior product to those that the customers are used to expecting. So I don't know, Delaney, if we believe in old wives tales, but... Uh, Not a good sign if the sweet corn crop is starting to run out of steam. That's sad, Tanner. I've only had a couple batches of sweet corn, and so far they've all been really good. Yeah, so it maybe it's the later planted, and who knows here in our area. We talked about the delayed planting. Of course, we reported on the crop progress report the same scenario of how we've been playing catch up all year. Maybe some of the later planted crops are the ones that will see the most significant damage. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I'm all out of news for today. Aside from chatting markets and surprisingly, even with some of those underlying fundamental factors, China and Russia especially, markets are trading on the positive side this morning with corn up about 
a quarter of a cent trading right under $6 at $5.94. Soybeans really are the ones that I assumed would feel some pressure here from the potential uh, rebuttal from China as Pelosi is in, of course, Taiwan this week, but they are trading higher as well, up four pennies in the November contract at $13.90 and a half. Weed up five and a quarter at seven ninety nine, and hopping over to take a look at livestock this morning, they're also green on the screen all across the board. October live cattle up a dollar twenty seven at a buck forty three. September feeders up a dollar oh seven at one eighty two fifty two, and lean hogs in the October contract adding seventy seven cents today at ninety seven dollars on the board. Tanner. And that is where markets are trading at here this morning, Tanner. But we do have a little bit of an interesting interview here that came from a recent NAFB fellow member here looking and talking to Dr. Jim Baird from Indiana, uh, Purdue, specifically to discuss labor issues going on right now in agriculture, Tanner. So let's kick it over to that conversation. Joined today by the Honorable Dr. Jim Baird from Indiana, uh, and part of the the district includes Purdue. Correct? You bet. Yes, sir. And I know you're, you're proud, proud of that. Of that. Yeah, we are proud of that. When we look at what's going on right now back home, uh, economic, weather wise, what are you seeing back home right now? I, I think the two biggest things on people's mind is inflation and finding a workforce, and that includes agriculture. Challenge trying to find appropriate workers, and uh, so those two issues are, are a great concern to the agricultural community, as well as the manufacturing and the, and the service industry. So, so we're really looking for uh, good, steady, dependable workers. Uh, aside from that, then we get into the increased cost for agriculture, input costs, the increase in fertilizer has just gone skyrocketed this year. And so all of that, you know, to me, agriculture is the foundation of a lot of these rural communities. And you and I have talked about that before. You've said that before. And they really do contribute to the well-being of these rural communities. And so when we start, we start having those kind of issues for agriculture, we need to make sure we have a farm program and that we support uh, their their progress and what they're trying to do. And so then that gets on into uh, other issues. Um, I don't know where you're wanting to head, but, but right along with that, right along with that, we get into the EPA and nullifying the use of some of these things like uh, glyphosate and dicamba. And so we think, and I think, in fact, I've joined some of my other colleagues, we sent a letter about the glyphosate roundup and not having access to that. Now, now, you know, if, if they do have to be uh, curtailed for some reason, you need to do it after farmers have made their decision. I mean, you give, they need to have the time to utilize uh, whatever they have purchased or whatever they have in the pipeline. Because they've already, excuse me, because they've already made that commitment. So how do you make decisions, planning decisions, and try to make a profit in agriculture when when those kinds of things are occurring, and you're trying to make those production decisions? So, and if you ever saw, if you ever, if you ever grew up 
uh, and I did, grew up when we didn't have access to, to things like Roundup, and you've seen it too. But if you if you didn't have access to those those materials, and we use such a small amount per acre, I mean they've really improved the technology, and we've got precision agriculture. We can use such a small amount and still accomplish the same thing. But if you grew up in a period when when we didn't have access to that, I mean the competition it was really a race a race in production agriculture to try to see who got the most nutrients, whether it was the weeds or the plants. So if you ever looked at those fields, you would understand the need for those products in production agriculture. You mentioned uh, inputs, and we had situations this year where some producers decided no fertilizer at all. I can't afford it. We had other producers who might have said, I'll put half of my fertilizer on, really getting into maybe working against yourself on the agronomic side of that. But part of that with a, a lack of availability, is that something that we could see come back to the U.S.? Does the U.S. have what it takes to get into that fertilizer business? I think we do. I think, I think you're right on target. You know, natural gas is one of the key raw materials, and we have sufficient quantities of uh, natural gas. So why not use that to make our nitrogen fertilizer instead of instead of having to depend on the imports? And so that's, that's true of a lot of things that we have sent overseas uh, that we're dependent on foreign countries. I'm talking about chips from from foreign countries. We, we have access to rare earth metals right here in the U.S., particularly out in those western states, those federal lands, we need to, we need to make sure that we're not uh, shooting ourselves in the foot by not having access to those kind of rare earth metals or making our own fertilizer, at least enough to have a system in place uh, that has the ability to scale up or gear up when we have situations like we had this year. And you mentioned some people cut it in half, some people cut it out. I think part of that decision is dependent on what you've been doing prior years, whether you've built up the fertility in your in your soil or your the fields you farm uh, or ranch, and uh, if you if you've done sufficient buildup, then there may be enough to carry you through another year. And that's a that's a decision you have to make at the moment. I mean, you know what what's what's the chances? You know you're going to conduct or you're going to reduce productivity to a certain extent. But if you put on, if you put uh, over amounts of high expensive fertilizer, you've already cut your profitability and your margin to margins are so narrow anyway. So that's a that's a um, a uh, calculated plan to try to, and you know you got to give agriculture farmers and ranchers their ingenuity and their uh, their ability to adapt is phenomenal, and we got to give them credit. And we need to get out, government needs to get out of their way, let them have access to the resources they need, and let them do it. Because I guarantee you, if we get out of their way, they can do it. You mentioned earlier uh, lack of workers. Yes. And I know that I believe maybe last week or week before, you actually spent some time on uh, a little thing outside of uh, the Capitol on workforce modernization. So maybe we don't have the workers here, but we could have the workers here. 
you're working on that, right? Absolutely. And we need, you know, we, uh, everyone wants to give American workers the first opportunity. The problem with that is, is that if, if someone does take a position and then decide they don't like it, it takes 30, 60, maybe 90 days to recycle and try to get access to, an, to another worker. Well, by that time, the cows, have, you know, you, they need to be milked and the hogs need to be fed and, and, you know, the crops have matured in the field. So we need to make sure that we fine-tune that so that the farmers and ranchers have a steady, reliable supply of labor. And that's what our goal is. It's so good to see you. I know that uh, you've really gotten busy around uh, around Capitol Hill. It's been so exciting to, to, to watch you as you're maturing into this role here and your work with the Ag Committee and uh, with the other caucuses. Thanks for what you do. We appreciate it. Well, Billy, thanks for picking that up and giving our listeners an insight as to what's going on. Always interesting to get the perspective from others around us. Absolutely, Tanner. But we'll be back with more interesting conversations tomorrow, folks. So do stay tuned. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. (laughs) 